Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 9, Episode 17. The episode was titled Counterclock. I had the host of the Counterclock podcast, Delia D'Ambra, on. And she was here to talk about the two cases she's covered on her podcast, the murder of Stacey Stanton and the murder of Denise Johnson. Her coverage of both cases has been incredible. She's even been able to make connections between the two and potentially uncover a wrongful conviction along the way. Uh, if if our audio sounds a little bit off, I think it should be pretty good. But just to let you guys know, I am working remotely. I am out of the state currently investigating our Season 10 case. So uh, I have a microphone in a hotel. I am joined by Mike and Zach. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Uh, and they are also recording from their, looks like Mike is in some sort of creepy dark office. And Zach is in some sort of bright closet. This is my home, Bob. I'm I'm in my home. <laughs> uh, all right. So we've got some questions from you. Got some things I want to talk about. So right after a break, we're going to go and get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before we get going with your questions, just for any of you who are not on any of our social media sites, we did ask listeners to ask any questions they wanted to ask, not all about the case, just because we we're, we're not in a position. Normally, we have a meeting in the morning where we talk about the questions, maybe do a little bit of research, but that is, we weren't able to do that now because of our working schedules and our location. So that's why you're going to hear some questions that are not necessarily related to the case. Uh, and also, I do want to just briefly address, too, um, somebody made a comment how it seems that we don't, you know, we're not super well-researched for these follow-ups. Just to give you guys an idea, there's a couple things with this particular season. It's also one of the reasons why I'm really looking forward to breaking this off into True Crime Binge, where there aren't follow-up episodes, and uh, and number two, to get back to you know our normal course of business. These follow-ups are tough for us because you know we record, you know, we use season nine as a buffer to be more prepared for season ten. That's worked well. I'm able to get a lot done because we can record a lot of these interviews in advance. The downside of that is that you know we've recorded them in advance, so most of the time when you're hearing these follow-ups, we had you know I had recorded that interview oftentimes weeks prior, and I had recorded 
episodes for other cases, multiple after I did this one, plus I'm researching season 10. Uh, and so that's why it's always not on the, the front of our minds when we're doing these follow-up episodes, or they're a little tricky. And the other issue is these are cases that you know, were covered by other podcasters, and we don't have the case file. So a lot of times people are asking questions that would require a deep dive into a case file to get the answers to, and we don't have those case files. So we can only find what we can get from the podcasters. Or uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep going, guys, on this, uh, so you don't need to cut this out, Mike, But because I think it's going to keep happening. But just for you listeners to know, I'm across the street from the airport, and I keep hearing in my monitor, airplanes flying right past the hotel brilliant <laughs> brilliant yeah, right didn't didn't think that one through but anyway just letting you guys know so if you have questions that are you know pretty deep in nature about the cases and we don't have those answers it's just because we don't we don't have the case files we don't have access to all of the information uh like we would in a normal truth and justice case and we're just weeks away from getting back to that normal format so please bear with us and that being said mike let's go ahead and get started with our questions all right our first question comes from Kristen. Where does Clifton's case stand in the court system? It sounds like law enforcement are still working this case, which was surprising to me since they have who did it in the second case. Okay, so uh, I saw this question and I actually emailed Delia to help us answer that. And this is exactly what she wrote back to me. As it stands now, Clifton is fighting to be exonerated. The avenue his current attorney is pursuing is to get the old second degree murder conviction vacated or get him a hearing to ask for a new trial. If the judge grants a new hearing, then the DA in Dare County would have to decide whether or not to build the case against Clifton all over from scratch and retry him, or decline to press charges, thus vacating his conviction. So it sounds like as of right now, everything's at kind of a standstill, but he's got attorneys working on that course of action. That is really interesting that she was able to kind of connect these two cases, too. Yeah, you know, I had I had read some kind of spoilers online that the, the two cases that she connects the two cases. And when I listened through, it was really impressive. It's some really good investigative work that she did. It's very truth and justice esque as far as her style of like, just digging into it, going through the case documents, finding witnesses. And then, yeah, through her, through her work, all of a sudden she starts finding out that these two women, the two victims, uh, Denise and Stacy, that, you know, they not only geographically were, from the same area, but that they also were connected to a lot of the same people. And then come to find out this Mike guy had, had actually at one point confessed to both murders. Joe says Delia keeps using the phrase legally questionable interrogation. What does she mean by that? Clifton clearly had an attorney. Plus, not all jurisdictions require interviews to be recorded and even less did in 1990. So this is, this is how Delia responded to that question to me. She said, regarding the legally questionable interrogations, four out of the six times that the SBI interviewed Clifton one-on-one back in 1990, he did not have an attorney present despite asking for one. His interrogations were never video or audio recorded, and some of the notes and reports from those interrogations do not have paper trails. He was also transported between two different counties in SBI custody while initially detained on his drug violation warrant from New Jersey without proper inmate release forms being created or signed by the Tyrell County Sheriff. So it sounds like he did have an attorney present two times, but the other four times while he was requesting one, they were continuing to interrogate him without an attorney present. I I think the big thing that a lot of people don't understand about that is if you ask for an attorney, you need to stop talking. Right. 
Well, it, it, that, that's the hard thing is, and it, it's funny as we relate this back to last week when, when you know we were frustrated that Paul Flores wouldn't talk mm-hmm. because he was advised by his attorney. But as we said, that's exactly what what should happen. And we've seen this happen over and over again. We saw it in Sandy Melgar's case in season six, where you know she on multiple occasions says, you know, I want an attorney. Like this is it. I want an attorney. And they keep asking questions, and she keeps answering them. It is, on one side, it is the onus of the police department. When someone requests an attorney, you have to stop the interview. Uh, but they have, a lot of times, they're they're very good at just maybe just prodding, okay, well, I guess you don't want to help us. I mean, if you don't want to help, then I just wanted to ask you, well, well what's the next question? You know, and they, they coax you back in answering those questions. But uh, if, if you very, very clearly invoked your right to an attorney, they are they are supposed to stop. But yeah, the other side of that is uh, just just as for us all to learn from this. If you're ever in a position talking to police and you request an attorney, stop talking. Do not let them convince you to keep talking. Katie says, just a comment that I loved hearing from Delia D'Ambra, since I'm also a UNC Journalism School alum. Go heels. Also, interested what each of your proudest moments has been so far in your investigation slash podcasting careers? Well, I guess I'll start with you guys. You guys obviously don't do a whole lot of investigating, but Mike, you've been attached to Truth and Justice now for going on five years. You also did the the former off-duty podcast before that. And Zach, you've done the, the Made Us podcast and Bob and Weave. Do you guys have a proudest moment in your podcasting careers? I don't know that I have a proudest moment. I'm sure I do if I really thought about it. I know the silliest moment that I could give you is when I came up with a theory well enough for the Melgar case that a listener accused me of being the killer. (laughs) I remember that. They thought you had too much inside information and you must have been involved. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fun time. Uh, for me, it's just, um, for, for one, I'd like to say five years went by really fast. I think you can attest to that, Bob. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's been just a heck of an experience all around. I think th- kind of my biggest takeaway from it is I, I really appreciate the fact that we were able to do this uh, when not a lot of people were at a, at a time when it was kind of a, a leap of faith type situation. And then for us to like actually prosper and continue doing this for as long as we have has been a real testament to like our our, our work ethics, I think. And then also just... Y- y- Oh man, I don't know. I'm really thinking like internally here, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we we're still doing it, and it's been an awesome ride and a great time. And uh, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people are familiar with my kind of origin story, but not so much with Mike's. But you know, I I left the fire department to take this job um, or to start doing this full time, and then uh, I after less than a year or about a year, I offered. Mike the opportunity to come on full time and it was a hell of a leap of faith faith for Mike too you know he was at the time he was working at a fire brigade for a nuclear plant you know a great you know what 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 people would consider to be a good safe job with a you know good income and benefits and and I know he really struggled with you know do we want to do I want to continue doing that safe job or or take a risk and do this and it certainly was a risk and uh, I think much to the chagrin of some of your family at the time, who have all come around now, right? Mike decided to leave the fire brigade and and come to work in our tiny little office we used to work in and start making podcasts for a living. 
So that, so that was pretty cool origin story too, I think. And and for for you, me watching you, you know, I, I'm really proud of of what you've done as far as you know, we were we have no background, neither of us in audio engineering whatsoever. Um, and when you listen to these podcasts and you hear the quality of uh, the sound design on them. That's all Mike. Mike is like dove in headfirst into learning techniques and software and tips and tricks to get really, really good at his job. And it's pretty incredible that, you know, five years ago, you had no idea how to edit a podcast. And now I, I maintain you're the best in the business as far as, as sound editing. Thanks for that, man. I definitely appreciate it. And, uh, and for me, I mean, mine, mine are kind of obvious. I mean, you know, walking at eights out of prison was, you, you can't hardly beat that. Um, that obvious answer is obviously very obvious, but, uh, you know, another big one for me was, um, even along that case, kind of reuniting Ed with his family. Um, that was a huge, there's been a lot of, a lot of happy tears along the way doing this for the last five years and, you know, reuniting him with, with Kim and Kyra and Zach prior to his release has always felt like a great accomplishment. And, and I have to say last year when I was able to get Troy Eldridge on the phone and, and he fully recanted his testimony that sent uh, Jesse Eldridge to prison was another, another one of those big moments. And, you know, I think all of you listeners for giving us those opportunities. I mean, if you guys weren't listening, the podcast wouldn't be paying the bills and we wouldn't be able to continue doing what we're doing. Because, you know, ultimately for me, this work is about helping those who are wrongfully convicted. The podcast is a way to connect our work to all of you and fund the work that we're doing so that we never have to charge any money to the people that we're trying to help. And so you all have played a huge part in that and allowed us to do this work. So very appreciative for that, too. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Craig says, what has been the most mind-blowing discovery or incident that's happened when out on a field trip for the podcast? Field trip, he called it. <laughs> field trip. Uh, I think you could have put emphasis on that word a little differently and it wouldn't have sounded like something from grade school. <laughs> I don't know because I'm not allowed to go on the field trip. <laughs> I never get invited. No one ever invites me. You know, that, that's hard to say. Um, one that always comes back into my mind was during season two when I confronted Leonard Mosley. Uh, in the murder of Elnor Griffin in that case. 
And it was something that you all weren't able to see. You heard the interview, but watching his physical reactions to my questioning of him, it it, it really spoke volumes to me. It convinced me beyond what all the physical evidence was indicating already. Uh, but that interview and looking at looking at him in the eyes and having that face to face conversation with him really convinced me that that he was involved in Elmore Griffin's murder and at the very least knows who did it. Julia says, what's the toughest thing that you've had to deal with since you started doing truth and justice and left the fire department? Oh, without question, it's been 2020. It's been the most difficult thing to deal with. You know, some of the stuff I said up front about these follow-up episodes, but you know, when, so it was springtime last year when coronavirus started, you know, rearing its ugly head. And I think, I think that I can speak for myself, maybe not for Mike so much and Zach, but for me, it was, I was almost in kind of denial for a little while that, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. It's not going to really affect us and everything's going to be fine. And then, um, we were actually just off the air before we started this episode talking about that moment where Mike was in the office when like numbers were spiking and all of a sudden it was like, holy shit, this is a big deal. They're shutting down schools. They're shutting down businesses. Um, and we had to make the decision to go remote. I, rem- I remember that day. It was eerie. It kind of gives me chills thinking about it when we were like packing up equipment and sending it home. Uh, with Mike so that because we didn't know how long this was going to last uh, that he was going to have to work remote it just wasn't safe at that time to have him coming back and forth to the office and so then you know through that time we you know I, we, we learned pretty well how to work remotely we never missed an episode which I'm pretty proud of um, between all three of us between me Mike and Zach that we man you know through Zoom and Dropbox and uh, you know, a lot of trial and error. We figured out how to keep the episodes going. And as soon as we kind of got our groove going with that, then, of course, sadly, Deb Perringer died in prison while we were right on the brink of trying to help her and figure out for sure whether or not she was wrongfully convicted. That was, of course, tragic. Uh, and then at the same time, you know, just from a production standpoint for us, that put us in just an absolute bind you know we 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 spend months preparing uh, a case to cover on a season of truth and justice and it, all of a sudden it was like boom she's gone and you know kind of polling the, the taking the pulse of the listeners uh, no one was you know there was not i wouldn't say no one but there was only a small fraction of the listeners that were interested in us continuing to work on a case for a woman that couldn't be helped because she was already gone and so then we, again, the scramble began. We came up with this season um, to do this this case of season just to bridge the gap. Um, it's been it's been difficult. It's been fun. I think at the end of the day, it's it's been a good thing. I've on one hand, I really really enjoy getting to know these other people in in this industry, um, other true crime podcasters. I've enjoyed the opportunity to be able to help them through a tough time. Um, I know there's, you know, obviously some of the people that we've had on have massive podcasts and they certainly didn't need our help, but we've also, you know, had on some smaller, newer podcasts that have been, you know, extremely appreciative of the exposure they've received from being on truth and justice. So that's been nice, um, to be able to, you know, still feel like we're doing something. Uh, and again, as I, you know, as I said earlier, to thank all of you listeners for sticking with us through this, because. 
you know, we, we try not to talk, we try not to bum everybody out, but it's, it's been rough. And then, you know, and one of the biggest challenges, like I said earlier, is these follow-ups are tough. You know, th- that type of podcast, the type of podcast we've been doing now for 17 episodes of season nine are not really conducive to having a second follow-up episode. But we, you know, we're, to, to put it frankly, we're contractually obligated to do a follow-up episode every week. Um, and you guys have stuck with us through that, that too. You know, the follow-ups have been tough. You know, we've done our best to get out good information. Um, but it's been a challenge, you know, but for those people that are on Patreon and they, they watch our behind the scenes videos of us talking beforehand, they've seen us, you know, scrambling to just try to come up with a, enough interesting content that you guys will enjoy listening to. Because, you know, if you guys tuned out and stopped listening to the follow-ups, you know, that there's just, there's so many ways this could have all fallen apart and not allowed us to continue doing what we love, which is helping people and doing these deep dives into cases, you know, that very easily could have gone away in the last six months had it not been for you listeners sticking with us through all that. Um, and so we're, we're eternally grateful for that because now we're just weeks away from getting back into doing it. You know, as I mentioned, I'm out in the field right now. I'm doing interviews for a new case. I feel like I'm back, you know, back in the saddle again, doing what I love doing. It's and so while those things have all been struggles and very difficult through this year, uh, at the same time, you know, it, it definitely gives you a lot to be thankful for. It's nice to know that we have, you know, an army behind us that's willing to stick with us, even though we, you know, we've spent six months completely changing the format of the podcast that you all listen to. And you guys still stuck with us. And, you know, the numbers show that the overwhelming majority of you are still here and you're still hanging on. So, so thank you all for that. We really appreciate it. All right. And going back to your discussion with other podcasters in the true crime space, Lauren wants to know, will you be teaming up with any of them in a case in the future? You know, I don't know. It's definitely come up. Right now, we have so much on our plate with, you know, we're trying to button up season nine, start season 10, and launch True Crime Binge all at the same time. But certainly, there have been some of the podcasters that we've had on the show during season nine have uh, have reached out and want to collaborate on some things. Um, so I think once things settle down and they get back to normal and travel's not as weird as it is, uh, and we get into a normal workflow again. That's something that could that could certainly happen. Um, that's just that's just been another benefit of of this season. Is you know a lot of these true crime podcast hosts. I know you know a little bit. I've gotten to know them so much better. I've met some new faces, and it's just it's just fun to be in a in a in a worldwide industry and and be you know every other day on the phone with uh, with somebody else that does what we do and just making all those connections and, and all these new friendships. Uh, so I definitely wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibilities that at some point there will be some collaboration with some of the guests that we've had on. And on that note, uh, I did want to mention uh, one of the True Crime Podcast uh, hosts that we haven't had on the show. We had Jim Clementi on the show from Real Crime Profile. But, uh, you know, Jim has two co-hosts on that show, Lisa Zambetti, who's a casting director, and Laura Richards, who is also a profiler from, New, from formerly New Scotland Yard. Uh, both of them have created their own podcasts. And one of them, Lisa, you know, her, her specialty is in casting, has started a new podcast called Killer Casting, where she has a couple of co-hosts and they break down fictionalized scripted true crime series and shows. 
and they talk about the the casting and the plots and the writings and stuff like that. So it's a little out of the true crime space. And they even, um, in order for Lisa and I to collaborate, last week their episode 12 was on uh, the Netflix series Cobra Kai, because I am a massive Cobra Kai fan. Uh, so if you're looking for something to listen to, check out Killer Casting uh, episode 12 Cobra Kai. I'm on that. We had a blast. Uh, and just check out Killer Casting. I think Lisa's doing a good job on that. And also, Laura Richards just launched this week her new podcast called Crime Analysts. Uh, and I just started listening to that. I'm going to have uh, Laura on True Crime Binge here probably in the first month once we, once we get launched. Uh, but definitely check out Crime Analysts by Laura Richards and Killer Casting uh, by Lisa Zambetti. Tara wants to know, when can Zach Weaver's grandpa come back on? I don't like having Doug on the show. Uh, <laughs> and he's not he's never he's never invited back and it's because doug makes me feel and look stupid uh because he knows so much about everything yeah he's he's a very very intelligent man and I, i'd love to have him back on for something even if we even if it's not on here maybe i'm back on bob and weave for a conversation but he he's a really fun guy to talk to yeah of course i'm just joking doug was great he's so not only is he super intelligent and he he knows he knows so much about so many things but I didn't know until he was in the studio that day that he also has a background in broadcasting, which is why he has that perfect radio voice and perfect cadence is very comfortable behind the microphone. So we'll, we'll figure out some way to get it back on. You know, he comes from a different generation where they just did everything. Right. You, you know, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show, but I found out when I first started podcasting that my dad was a radio host in college. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, I remember when, when, when Truth and Justice first took off and sitting down for like Thanksgiving dinner and he's like, you know, you come by that honest. You know, I have, a, I have an FCC license to be on the radio. And I thought he was joking. And of course, he goes back and he had dug it out before I got there. He goes back and he's got this old, you know, time warp piece of paper and it is an FCC license to be on the radio that he had to get back in, uh, back in the early 70s when he was in college. Uh, and so he, he, he <laughs> bragged about that to me. He was like, you don't even have one of these. Go Popsy. That's so funny to think about that, you know, to prove to you his experience in a different time, he'll pull out this old crinkly FCC card. All of us will have video and audio documentation for years <laughs> for our kids to look at and pick apart. Yeah, yeah. He had to dig through old files to find this old piece of paper and our kids just go on YouTube and see us. Kathy says, what case that you didn't take most disappointed you? Oh, that's tough to talk about the cases I didn't take. Um, there have been some that were pretty tragic. Um, I'm reminded of one a few years ago that someone had pitched me a case. It was, it was out of Colorado, and it seemed very interesting where a woman was uh, beaten, stabbed to death, and actually decapitated. And her husband was was convicted of the crime, and her husband's new fiance, who had met him through a prison pen pal website uh, and some, got engaged to him, wanted my help fighting for his freedom. And based on what she showed me, it looked like oh maybe this guy's innocent. And I started doing some digging and looking into it. The the short version of the story is through a preliminary investigation, it turned out that. That she or that he absolutely was the perpetrator, and that this woman had just been completely 
know, brainwash is the term by the guy, but I mean, it, it to the point where I was, I ended up speaking with friends and family of hers who were concerned about her and I ended up getting in Jim Clemente involved to have him speak to her and tell her like, like you, if this guy ever gets out, you were in danger. This man decapitated his wife. He is not what you think he is. That's a little example of some things that go on behind the scenes uh, for cases that we don't take. I don't know. Disappointed is a tough word. I don't know if that's how I felt about it, but it was, uh, it was definitely tragic and scary. And even recently, the case we were going to take for season 10 was another case that had been brought to us to look at to see if this person was innocent. And uh, I really thought that he probably was. And it was a really interesting story. Um, and I think that you guys would have been very interested to hear it and, and, and would have loved to jump on board. And we were, of course, waiting and waiting and waiting because, you know, another thing in 2020, it's been almost impossible to get documentation for a case. And uh, the more I dug into it, I had to, I had to tell the attorneys, um, it was IPT, it was IPTX that brought us the case uh, that I, I don't, I I can't do this case. I can't good conscience do it because I'm, I feel like this person is very likely guilty. At the same time, some of the student attorneys that finally began digging into it kind of came to the same conclusion. So that that was disappointing. That was just a nut. And it was disappointing because this person had had convinced IPTX, at least to the point where they were willing to look into the case, that they were innocent. And it turns out they very likely weren't. So that, that was tough. And just again, another, not to make this all about me, 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 like these are all first world problems for sure. But, you know, for us, we thought we, we had a direction this fall when we started season nine, where we were going with season 10 and come, you know, mid-December determined that that's not the direction we can go. And we had to start from scratch again with another case. So um, that's, that one was definitely, I guess, disappointed is the word they use in their question, but I would say frustrated. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chris says, unrelated, but I'm curious as to the percentages of listeners across the globe. Is this something that you guys can share? Yeah, um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I've, I've we check them regularly. Obviously, the the majority I want to say eighty five percent of our audience is based in the United States, and that breaks down by state. You know, it's 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 a hodgepodge. Uh, then I think six percent of our audience is from the UK. Four or five are from Australia. I think three percent are from Canada. 
and then the rest of them. We, we have listeners in, I think, over 91 countries, so that the rest of that gets really spread out. But it's, it's primarily the U.S., the U.K., Australia, and Canada. A lot of listeners in the U.K. I learned that the difficult way. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you sure did. We also learned that there's some terminology that in the United States is very innocuous and in the UK is not so much. You want to elaborate on that, Bob, or just? Uh, yeah, well, it was the term. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but you know, when Zach was speaking about the speech pattern uh, on one of the podcasts and he said the speech pattern was kind of, uh, he said the word, it was kind of spastic in nature. And then we found out through some listeners from the UK that that's actually a, a slur in the UK for for people with certain with different disorders, cerebral palsy being one of them. So, yeah, we learned our lesson there. We sure did. Kirsten says, hey, Bob, I enjoyed the interview with Delia. She does great work and her research is amazing. My questions are about plagiarism. You said some very positive things about Ashley Flowers, which I was taken back by. I'm curious if you're aware she plagiarized multiple podcasters. What do you think about how it was handled? Should there have been harsher penalties? Was her apology sufficient? No, okay, so I wasn't aware. That's not entirely accurate. I was aware that there was a podcaster that was accused of plagiarism a few years ago. I didn't realize that it was Ashley Flowers. I don't want to get into bashing her because I don't know all the details. I did do a little bit of research on it. Uh, and it seems that in the early days of the Crime Junkie podcast, she was using sources and not citing them. Like she was taking, you know, she was reading Reddit posts from other people on her podcast and not citing the source. And then I saw when she, you know, you know, they said, I think the listener here said there was not a proper apology. And that's kind of what I saw where she never really said, I'm sorry, I screwed up. She basically said, you know, I'm sorry. I, you know, we didn't have, we weren't doing good at citing our sources. And so now we're better at making sure we cite all of our sources. So I, I, I don't know all, all the details. I know that Ashley is still extremely popular. She, Crime Junkie is still one of the biggest podcasts out there. So there obviously are still people that, you know, that I guess I've forgiven her for that or still listening. But no, to answer the question, no. When I recorded the interview, I was, I was unaware of that situation. I didn't know about that until after our listeners had heard the podcast. And then, you know, a few people called me out and said, why would you say such nice things about her? She's a, you know, she's a, she's a plagiarist. Um, I, di I didn't know. And certainly I don't condone that. I hope that that's been corrected. And you know, that's as far as I want to go with it because I, I don't know. I don't know the situation very well. I only know what I've you know read on the internet. Jody says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Ivan Cantu case and the stellar investigation work done by Liz Rose, who now leans heavily towards guilty. The jam bullet, the DNA on the genes that are two sizes too big, etc. Well, you know, I haven't, I've talked to Liz about it and Liz has told me, she actually reached out to me and apologize for asking me to cover Ivan's case on Truth and Justice because she believes that um, she's leaning heavily towards the fact that he's guilty now. She suggested that there has been some key evidence withheld from listeners in the the Cousins by Blood podcasts. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not letting a cat out of a bag there. She's been very vocal about it on her social media and on her blog. I did read one of her blog posts where she kind of covered some of the some of these issues. And again, it's a lot like these other cases. You know, Liz, I, I trust Liz very much. And so I would assume that all of that evidence is is accurate and that it would be another one of those disappointing cases where you get into one and you think that somebody is innocent and only to find out later that they weren't. If you remember when I was on the podcast, I, I told Matt in that episode that, you know, after listening to a few episodes, I thought this was going to, I think my, you know, my kind of joke was, I thought this is going to be kind of an awkward conversation because this guy seems very guilty. Uh, and then it seemed like maybe there was a possibility that, that he wasn't. So I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see where it shakes out. I don't know enough about the case to really speak intelligently on it. Um, I only know, I haven't, I haven't listened to season two of Cousins by Blood. I've only spoken because I've had so many other podcasts to listen to for this season, but I, I, I've only spoken to Liz and read some of her blog posts. So if, if that's the case, it's, it's really unfortunate. But also, if that's the case, good on Liz for being willing to step up and say, you know, hey, I was on the wrong team here and this is what I think happened now. Our last question comes from Jennifer. She writes, the obligatory question, an update on some of your past seasons. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of updates going on. The world has been at a standstill, as we know, for the last going on a year now. Season one, you know, the last update that I got was what you guys heard when I had Robbie Chowdhury on the on the podcast a few months ago. Uh, and she's, you know, there's a new team of lawyers working on Adnan's case. Sounds like they're still working on developing a strategy, whether they go into the federal appeals court or they go back to the post-conviction court in Maryland. Uh, season two, Ed's case, there is, uh, we can't really get into it. There's some evidence that we helped gather. We meaning myself and Mike that we believe will fully and finally exonerate Ed that's been hanging in the balance for going on two years now. Uh, I can't get into the details why, but there's a government agency that is holding that process up. So um, hopefully that will come to light and soon Ed will be fully exonerated rather than just being paroled. Uh, Jesse's case, uh, as you guys know, Troy Eldridge recanted here on the show. Prior to all of you hearing that interview, after I you know got the recantation from him, I sent that recording to the Innocence Project, who sent it to the Conviction Integrity Unit. They reviewed it. The CIU actually went and interviewed Troy. They then went and gave Troy a polygraph, which he passed with flying colors, and had him fill out an affidavit. Um, but then again, you know, COVID. So that that's really you know, Allison's not able to share much with me about what's going on. From there, uh, I, I, I fully believe that will be enough to get him exonerated, but it's just it's just a slow, slow process. I have been in communication with, with Jesse. I wrote him the other day uh, or a couple weeks ago, and he wrote me back. And, you know, he's he's he still seems to be in good spirits. It's, you know, obviously it's been 25 years. He's frustrated. He's ready to get the hell out of prison and get back to his life. But he still is very grateful and thankful for uh you know, as he put it, uh, all of you giving him his life back, giving him hope again and, and giving his life back. And um, so that one, we're just waiting. Uh, season four, George Powell, uh, his case is a strange one. You know, he was, his conviction was vacated and he was ordered a new trial. The prosecutor in that case still insists that they're going to try him again. How, I don't know, because the only evidence they used against him was the BS 
photogrammetry expert who claimed that it was six foot three George on that video when there's clearly a five foot eight man on the video. Um, but so we knew that was they're just dragging their feet on what they're going to do. They're saying they're going to try him again, but who knows when. But the problem was while George was out on bail, he got picked up on a he got picked up for a DUI and then again on a meth charge and they revoked his bail. And so he's been sitting in the county jail now for gosh, I don't remember when it was. I feel like it's coming up on a year he's been in jail. And so he's he's just sitting in a county jail awaiting a new trial that I don't think is ever going to happen. And I, it seems to me that the the prosecutor uh, down there is dragging their feet because he's in jail. Season five, uh, the, the West Memphis three case, uh, that one is, is, is extremely frustrating after the docu-series. Uh, there's things going on there that, again, I'm not allowed to talk about. And I know that's frustrating for all of you to hear, but I can tell you this. We had what we thought was a massive, well, we, it was a massive break in the case right after the docu-series aired. Uh, there were there were things set in motion where we thought within months we were going to have some answers, if not weeks. And all I can tell you is that as we pushed and pushed, um, Scott Ellington once again buried his head in the sand and went from being cooperative to knowing that he was going to be out of office because he has a judgeship that he just started here this month. I feel like he he knew the finish line was close was close enough that he just buried his head in the sand again, refused to answer any calls or emails or any correspondence, not just from me but also from attorneys, uh, and just rode that out until he is now out of that office and he's a judge. So um, we're hoping to get back in touch with uh, the new DA and get the ball rolling again in that. But uh, that's. Again, I, I can't give you details, but I can tell you I was extremely, extremely excited about what was happening. thought we were finally going to have resolution, and it was all the result of the, the docuseries and the pressure that you all put on Ellington's office. And then the rug's been pulled out from underneath us again. But we're not going to stop fighting there either. Uh, season 6, Sandra Milgar's case. That one is, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know what's happening there. Once Kathleen Zellner took over... Um, so, you know, the Seacrests were still working on the direct appeal. I believe they're still working on another round of that for her second direct. Um, in the meantime, Zellner, I believe, has been working with um, the prosecutor, Kim Ogg, and, and perhaps even the Conviction Integrity Unit in Houston here in Harris County. But I don't know what's happening with that. I'm hoping, you know, I, I know I, there, there's from Liz, there's been some confidence from her on several occasions where she seems to, to believe that things are moving in the right direction, but I just I just don't know what's happening there. It, whatever Liz might know, she's not allowed to share with me. Um, everything is, is being kept pretty quiet in that one. Season 7, Jamie Snow. Uh, I don't think there's been any, any new filings in his case. I know the Exoneration Project is still working on it. For updates in that case, um, Tammy Alexander, who brought the case to us, and you heard from during Season 7, uh, once we stopped our coverage of the case because we kind of ran out of places to go with episodes, she started a podcast to continue on. It's called The Snow Files. She posts about it occasionally in the Truth and Justice fan group. Um, but certainly go check out The Snow Files, and the, that's where you'll get the most up-to-date information on Jamie Snow's case. And then, of course, Deb Perringer's case, uh, you know, with her passing, just 
stopped. There's nothing else going on there. Um, and then we're, we're about to launch into season 10. And that's where everything's at. Um, there's some positive things coming, I think, in several of our cases. And hopefully in some of the ones where we don't really know what's happening, there will be some positive outcomes there. Uh, and then with all that, Mike, you said that was the last question. That's it. All right. So again, thank you guys uh, for all of your love and continued support. We are almost out of the woods here and, and into a normal episode of Truth and Justice. What you have coming, as I mentioned last week, True Crime Binge is going to launch on February 3rd uh, with our new episode. That's when we'll be splitting this format into its own thing. Um, really looking forward to that. Just to give you an idea, it'll be basically what we've been doing here on Truth and Justice, but not quite the same. Um, here we've been really focused on the cases. Uh, the concept of True Crime Binge is a place where you can go every week and hear a cool conversation and be introduced to some new podcasts that you might want to binge later. So, you know, it'll be uh, the, the best way our uh, our host the, that is, that's hosting the podcast when he's listening to some samples uh, described it to me as it's basically like uh, a Joe Rogan podcast, except for instead of me talking to actors and comedians, I'm talking to other true crime podcast hosts. Our first guest, I've got a bunch of guests lined up, uh, but our first one is going to be a pretty big name you're all familiar with. Uh, you should be looking forward to that. I'll announce who that is here in the in the coming weeks. But it should be fun, and we should have by the end of by the time you hear next week's follow up, we should have the a trailer up on the True Crime Binge feed, so that you guys can get on your i you know, those of you who want to listen can get on your your podcast apps and go ahead and get subscribed and be ready for that first episode drop. As far as this podcast for Truth and Justice, as we finish up season nine, leading into season ten in two days this Sunday, we have Mike Hixenbaugh who was the host of the Wondery original Do No Harm, which is a podcast I binged through in, in one day in, in real time from episode one all the way to the end. I had Mike on. He talks about that case um, and really cool interviews. So that's going to be this Sunday. And then next week, we have Katie and Kimberly from the Date with Dateline podcast. They're going to be on the show talking about a case that interests them. And then we're going to wrap things up for season nine with the hosts of the Down the Hill podcast, Barb and Drew, and they're going to be talking about the Delphi murders. So that's what you got coming over the next few weeks. Thank you all again for all of your love and support. We love you, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. 
If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z2TheQ. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Our last question comes from Jennifer. She writes, the obligatory question, an update on some of your past seasons. I think obligatory was the word you were looking for. What did I say? Obligatory.